Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. This um, podium is tall and I'm short, so just pay attention to my eyes. I'm going to be very expressive with my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> All right, is this the right sound level? Okay, good. Um, when my oldest child, Nathaniel, was five, we lived in Durham, North Carolina. Out of the blue, he began collapsing when walking around, which is weird for a five-year-old. Then he complained of hip pain. We took him to Duke, where they did blood tests and x-rayed his hips and gave us the bad news that he had Perthes disease, which is the, the leg bone, the top of your leg bone, the insides of it, um, this is my understanding, of your femur slowly disintegrate so that you are left with just a fragile eggshell of outside bone. The inside grows back, but it takes years. All the while, the child needs to be, at least back then, in a Y-shaped brace or a body cast. This news devastated us. Bruce worked around the clock in a challenging medical residency, and we just moved to a tiny house at the edge of a scary neighborhood. We hadn't made friends yet, and to top it off, we were asset-free. We were broker than broke. So how did we react? I'm going to tell you later. <laughs> For now, I'm going to ask three questions, then I'm going to ruin the suspense by answering the three questions, after which I'm going to tell you some Bible stories. You'll be so familiar with those stories that you'll be tempted not to listen. Do not give in to that temptation. First, the three questions. Does God exist? Does God answer prayer? Do you always get the response you expected? Now the answers. Does God exist? Yes. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Is it always the answer you expect? No. So if you're keeping track, that's a yes, yes, no. What you really believe regarding these three questions affects your heart, and your heart guides your behavior. What you believe regarding these questions has a profound effect on how you view the world and how you perceive and live your life. How you answer these questions makes a difference. Let's look at two men from the Bible men who differed from each other in how they answered the questions. Both are chosen by God. Each is given the same task, which is to reign as king over Israel. One fails miserably. At best, he's remembered as a disobedient coward. And the second one, he's not a perfect man. In fact, he commits some pretty big sins, but he's remembered as a man after God's own heart. Okay, here's where we are in Bible history. Uh, the Lord's rescued the Israelites many times, but they keep going back to worshiping idols. After a while, they hear about an imminent attack, so they run to the prophet Samuel and they demand a king, even though God was already their king. Samuel tries to talk the people out of their request, but they persist. Eventually, the Lord tells Samuel to choose Saul. He was an impressive man. Saul stood a head taller than any of the other Israelites, Samuel calls all the Israelites together to a ceremony to, to make him king, and Samuel tells him, God brought you out of Egypt, delivered you from your oppressors, yet you've demanded that a king be set over you, and he goes on to berate them for a while. Uh, next, they search for Saul. Guess where he is? He is hiding among the baggage. Did the people consider this a bad sign? No, they exclaim, long live the king. <laughs> So the Israelites win their first battle, but then the Philistines regroup. The Israelites are terrified and they scatter. Meanwhile, the prophet Samuel tells Saul to wait for him in order for Samuel to give the burnt offering before battle. Because remember, Samuel's the, the priest. 
So you can picture Saul pacing around waiting, oh my gosh, yikes, what's going to happen? Saul doesn't show up for seven days. Uh, so then, I mean, Samuel doesn't show up for seven days. So Saul panics, gives the burnt offering himself. Saul was a king, not a priest. Only priests could make burnt offerings. This was a very bad mistake. Less than an hour later, Samuel walks into the camp. If only Saul had waited. Samuel's furious, he tells Saul, because he's disobeyed God, his kingdom will not endure. And Saul continues to mess up. He takes credit for battles that his son Jonathan wins, and then he forbids soldiers to eat in battle. Jonathan doesn't know about this rule and eats honey while he's winning a battle. Saul finds out and orders this brilliant warrior to be killed. Jonathan survives only because older, other soldiers demand that his life be spared. Later, the Lord tells Saul to destroy an enemy tribe, all its people and all the livestock, every last creature. Saul disobeys. He spares the king and the best livestock. The Lord tells the priest Samuel what happened, and God says, I am grieved that I made Saul king. He has turned from me, and he's not carried out my commandments. Samuel is so upset that he stays up all night fretting. King Saul, however, is oblivious. The next morning, he wakes up and he builds a monument to himself. Samuel goes to see Saul, who greets him with, Bless you, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. This guy's got nerve. Saul is a king, not a priest. He's not supposed to be saying bless you to the priest. Of course, there's this little matter, too, of Saul straight up lying, claiming that he's followed the Lord's instructions. The prophet says, oh yeah, then why do I hear that sheep buying? Saul passes the buck. He says, oh, the soldiers brought them, and uh, we're going to sacrifice them. Samuel says, stop. He reminds Saul of his orders and asks why he disobeyed. Instead of repenting, Saul counters with, I did obey, sort of. I planned, to burn the burnt, I planned to offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord. Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Finally, Saul admits he sinned, and he asks Samuel to come back with him. But Samuel refuses. He tells Saul that the Lord has rejected him as king. As Samuel leaves, Saul tears the prophet's cloak. He begs Samuel to honor him before the Israelites, to honor him. After he's disobeyed God, lied about it, and never really has repented, Samuel refuses and never goes to see Saul again. Okay. Then the Lord tells Samuel to go to Jesse of Bethlehem and anoint one of his sons as king. As the sons arrive, Samuel sets on his eyes on the oldest, a handsome, strapping guy. Samuel thinks, bingo, this is the one. The Lord says, and I really like this verse, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. <laughs> the Lord does not look at things a man looks at. Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Seven of Jesse's sons pass by Samuel, and the Lord just keeps saying, nope, nope, nope. So Samuel says, really, is this it? Jesse says, there's my youngest out tending sheep. David shows up, ruddy and with a fine appearance. Saul anoints him. Okay. Fast forward. The Israelites and the Philistines are out in the desert in Judah, each on top of a hill and a valley in between them. Goliath, a champion of the Philistines, stands over nine feet tall, has a bronze helmet, wears 125 pounds of armor, has a bronze javelin, the point of which weighed 15 pounds. He is the nuclear bomb of Old Testament days. <laughs> every morning and every evening for 40 days, this man comes out and taunts the Israelites. 
This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Let one of your men fight me. If he wins, we will become your slaves. If I win, you will become our slaves. The Israelites, including David's brothers, are terrified. Jesse sends David to bring grain, bread, and cheese to his other sons. When David arrives, he hears Goliath's rant and sees the Israelites running from him in fear. David says, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's older brother chastises him, essentially saying, who do you think you are, punk? Go back to tending sheep. But King Saul gets wind of David's words and summons him. David offers to fight Goliath. Saul says, you got to be kidding. You're a boy. This Goliath has been a warrior since his youth. David says, your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So, bless his heart, Saul says, yeah, right, whatever, go, and the Lord be with you. Um, he dresses David in his own armor. David can barely move. He says, I'm not wearing this stuff. So he takes his staff, picks up five smooth stones from a stream, puts them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling, approaches Goliath. Goliath looks at David, sees that he's an unarmed boy. He snarls, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He cursed David by Philistine gods. Um, I don't know any Philistine curses, but I'm assuming they're bad, like your mother eats shrimp for breakfast and pork rinds for lunch, so there. <laughs> David says, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear, that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath lumbers closer to David to attack him. David runs toward this monster of a man. David's so convinced that the, of the Lord's presence and power that he runs toward Goliath. He reaches into his bag, takes out a stone, slings it, striking the giant on his forehead. Goliath falls down on the ground. David takes Goliath's sword and finishes the job. When the Philistines see that Goliath is dead, they flee. Now, maybe at this point you're feeling judgmental about Saul, just as I was. Then I begin to think about the times that my heart has not been right. Maybe I haven't bothered to pray when faced with a challenge because I believe the challenge is well beyond the Lord's ability to address. Or maybe I did pray, but I demanded a specific outcome. Okay, remember that story I started with? How did we react to the bad news? I don't remember praying much, if at all. Why bother? The diagnosis was conclusive. Nathaniel had Perthes disease, done and done. I do remember that whenever Bruce made it home, he'd lie face down on the hardwood living room floor, motionless. Even though, um, I'm sorry, uh, I had the opposite reaction. I threw myself into action, ineffectual action, but action nonetheless. Even though we were broke, I started, violin, I, I started Nathaniel on violin lessons. It makes sense, right? He'd have to sit still to play violin. Nathaniel hated violin, hated practicing. Worse yet, his teacher, Natasha, who'd just come from Ru Russia, declared, this boy is no good, should never play violin. <laughs> I had another brilliant idea, to buy Nathaniel a pet. We lived in a tiny place, so our options were few. So I bought a turtle who died almost immediately. <laughs> followed by a turtle who died immediately. <laughs> so now we had a grief-stricken, 
frustrated child with hip pain. At that time, we were visiting a wild church, which Bruce liked, but I was not happy about. At the end of the service, the preacher says, anybody who wants to be healed, come forward. Nathaniel, if I remember, jumps up. I try to grab him, but he's zippity-doo-dah down the aisle with me saying, no, no, no prayer for you in this crazy church. I tackle him, but it's too late. There's already a crowd gathered around him, people praying and laying hands on him. After lots of impassioned supplication, a woman declares, your child is healed. So we pile the boys in the car. I'm furious. What right did that woman have to trivialize our suffering? We faced years of misery. She's blithely saying, you're healed. What nerve. But my thoughts are interrupted by Nathaniel who says, Mommy, I had electricity go through me, and now I'm healed. Interestingly, over the next week, he doesn't complain of hip pain. We take him to Duke, carrying the old x-rays with us. They shoot new x-rays. We show up at the doctor's office with both sets, hand-carried, no chance of mix-up. The doctor looks puzzled. He says something like, I don't know what happened between last month and this month, but your child's hips are perfectly normal. Nathaniel was healed, and he stayed healed. Now, I hesitate to tell this story because I don't want you to think that I'm saying if you do the right things and pray hard enough, God will do whatever you ask him. You know, name it and claim it. Plenty of godly people pray fervently for healing, and their friends and relatives stay sick and sometimes die. We are thrilled that Nathaniel got healed, and I have nothing against doctors, turtles, and Russian violin teachers. (laughs) However, now listen to this, please. This is the point of the story. Five-year-old Nathaniel believed God exists, He knew he was sick, and he knew he needed help. He heard the preacher say, come forward if you want to get prayer for healing, so he ran forward. That running forward was a reflection of his little heart, what he believed, how he viewed God with regard to the situation. Simple. That's what I'm saying. Okay, back to our Bible stories. What are the main differences between Saul and David? Their hearts are radically different. From the beginning, Saul doesn't get it. When Samuel first encounters him, Saul refers to himself as a Benjamite, the least important in the clan of the smallest tribe of Israel. This comes across as humility, but it's not really. He doesn't understand that his identity rests in the value the Lord places on him. He doesn't understand that it's the Lord who gives the victories. A man or woman after God's heart honors the Lord. Saul takes credit for winning battles he didn't fight. He continually attempts to get the Israelites to honor and praise him rather than leading them in honoring and praising God. Saul cared about what he wanted. He had a disregard for God. Even when David didn't follow God's will, he understood that God's will was most important. A man or woman after God's heart acknowledges God as king. Saul thought of himself as king. For David, the Lord was king. You can see this in how each man approached battle. Both men realized that sacrifice before battle was essential. However, Saul thought of it as important for him to win the battle. But David thought it was essential because the act pleased and honored God. You see, Saul thought of God as this entity who could help Saul achieve his goals, bring honor to him. David viewed pleasing and honoring God as his goal. A man or a woman after God's own heart has a soft, repentant heart. When Samuel confronts Saul about disobeying God, He reluctantly admits wrongdoing. He doesn't seem upset that the Lord's withdrawing from him. Instead of repenting, he tries to persuade Samuel to honor him in front of the Israelites. He demands a cover-up. The people had a king. 
God. They demanded a human king and got someone who drafted their sons, took taxes, made bad decisions, and led them into disasters. Remember that verse? Some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Well, these guys trusted in chariots, which turned out to be disastrous. Saul doesn't understand that this spiritual stuff is real. If God says that a priest is the only one to offer a burnt sacrifice, then buddy boy, you wait until the priest arrives. If, the, if God wins the battle for you, uh, then give God the credit. If God tells you to wipe out all the people and all the livestock down to the very last chicken, you got to do it. Did Saul think he could fool God, that God was over in the left-hand side of the universe and could not hear that cow mooing behind the tent? Saul's view of God was distorted. His heart and behavior reflected that. David concerned himself with God's honor, not his own. He heard Goliath taunting the Israelites. He was incensed on the Lord's behalf. David has a clear understanding of his relationship to the Lord. Scripture says he's a mere boy, a shepherd in the back 40. Yet how does he think of himself? He's confident. But the confidence is not in his ability. He tells Saul that the Lord will deliver him from Goliath. If you think about it, David was absolutely alone in that belief. The Israelites had more confidence in Goliath's prospects of, Israel, of victory than the Lord's. I'm going to say that again. The Israelites had more confidence in Goliath's prospect of victories than the Lord's. When David killed Goliath, everybody was shocked but David. He was convinced of the Lord's power. Remember, remember, he ran toward Goliath. You don't run toward a monster of a man unless you're convinced of victory. And David was convinced of victory because he knew and spoke with the Lord. Here's a quote from Karl Barth. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And in that case, and that was the case for David. So, to wrap up, let me ask you those three questions again. Is God real? Does he answer prayer? Does he always answer in the way you expect? Saul did not act as if he believed God was real, not an omniscient being who should be honored and obeyed. Whereas David wholeheartedly believed God exist, existed, he absolutely believed that God answered prayer, and David did not try to determine how God, how God would answer prayer. He just obeyed. So what does this mean for you and me? Do we believe God is real? Do we live our lives as if we believe he's real? I challenge you to think about that. Let's take a look at the end of David's life and listen to what he has to say. This man of God reveals his true heart in prayer, and let's let it be our prayer too. Praise, to, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in earth and heaven is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.